Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We are so excited for our guest today. We have Amy Young in the house. She was amazing. Yeah. I, we could have kept this conversation going for years. Yeah. She's literally one of those people where you just like sit down and you're like, oh, it's been an hour. I seriously thought we were talking to her for five minutes. She's just brilliant. I really love her. And I feel like so often when I'm listening to her content and certainly we were talking to her, I was like, where was Amy Young when I was 25 years old? I feel like um, just really the way she speaks to women's empowerment and the way that we show up for ourselves as women, certainly a lot of the conversations she's having right now about like personal responsibility um, for everyone across the board is just really, really inspiring. Yeah. And I, and I like that. And we touch upon this in the episode, like this idea of how you can transform and evolve into a new or another version of yourself, but it doesn't mean that you have to completely let go of the existing. Um, Like her story, I think gives people permission to evolve. Mm, yeah, you know what I love that she said also that I think is such a depth psychology perspective is that, you know, this inner work that we do is about becoming more of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like fixing something that's broken. It's about like dropping into a deeper space of self, capital S self, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, my partner, John, always says it's about a reunion, right? It's mm. more about a reunion than anything else. And I'm not really sure if we said this in the episode or not, but you can find her on Instagram at at Amy Young Co. And we'll put that in the Instagram write-up as well as the episode write-up. Enjoy, you guys. super excited today. We have Amy Young here talking with us today. And for those of you guys who don't know Amy Young, you should. She's a coach and a leader who supports wide awake women and accessing her innate feminine power and accessing their, well, through hers. <laughs> innate All of feminine ours. power. All of ours. <laughs> she does this through a process of patriarchal deprogramming she calls the undoing, which I think is fascinating. And we're mm. so excited to have her here with us today. Yeah, conversation. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's I have to say it's really funny hearing you um, intro me that way because I'm so used to because I've just recently gone through this whole like mission messaging niche changeover and mm-hmm. I'm so used to people being like Amy Young is a dating and relationship coach She's a <laughs> woman. and I'm like so used to I'm hearing you Kevin I'm like oh yeah that's what I do now like I'm still like I'm still We're settling the patriarchy like, oh wait oh shit yeah <laughs> I'm still settling into this new groove with myself so it's um it's really cool yeah so this is fun Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this new direction that your work is headed because I feel like, you know, there, I'm a little late to the party and um, one of our mutual friends, Brandon Alexander had posted some of your stuff a couple months ago and I was like, oh my gosh, who is this girl? I love what she's put down here. Um, But, you know, there's, there's a little bit of like some of what you have been speaking about in terms of the patriarchy, in terms of the way that we are sort of shifting some of these paradigms that just really feels alive right now. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about like your background for those who don't know you and just like how you got started doing the work that you do. Sure. Um, So I really backed into coaching as a profession and um, which is ironic because I come from like a super self-help focused, like new agey kind of family. Like my dad's a coach and an astrologer and a hypnotherapist and meditation teacher. He does all these things. And then my mom's a social worker, a clinician, and she worked, you know, she did therapy in the hospital system for years. Um, So it was always a really big part of my life growing up, like kind of just asking big questions, like a lot of self-reflection, like people sometimes, you know, I remember being in college and like a boyfriend would come home with me for like the holidays and he would just be like, wow, your family like really gets into it around the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I can only hope that's my family someday. <laughs> Vanessa and I are like ghosts of Christmas yet to come. <laughs> we love it. It's like super, yeah, because we would just be talking, you know, just like big, I, the joke I always make is, um, you know, like when I was in high school, other kids were going to like concerts on weekends and my parents were like, oh, let's go to an Abraham Hicks seminar. And like, that's okay. what we all did as a family, which, which was awesome, but also just kind of normal to me. And at the mm. same time, I was like, this is super weird and embarrassing. So I was like, so I think for a long time, I was really kind of resistant to like owning or admitting how much of a huge presence, mm -hmm. you know, um, consciousness work, self-development kind of was in my life. I, I, I say in like my previous life, I, you know, I was a performer, an actor, a comedian living in New York City. I knew it. And <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you, well, and you drop into performance a lot of times in your videos, Thousand like you percent. embody the thing you're talking about. I'm like, this girl is an actress. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and that was when I started my YouTube channel back in 2012 now. Um, and I just was like, I need a creative outlet that's just for me. I'm, I was really becoming very disillusioned with the entertainment industry. I'm mm -hmm. feeling really like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I have absolutely zero clue, like mm -hmm. what the heck I'll do if it's not this. Cause like my whole identity is like performance and acting and comedy and everything. And um, so I just was like, I'll make a bunch of videos. And I ended up I mean, over the course of two years, <laughs> I had this whole like little video library I'd created that had a lot of um, focus and themes on dating and relationship work and like mm -hmm. things that some of it was just observational comedic stuff. Um, and some of it was kind of like, oh, things that I've learned, you know, things that I've seen with my girlfriends. Um, and people really liked that for me and people, you know, started reaching out and, and asking like, Hey, have you ever dated someone like this? Or I'm seeing this guy and he's doing this. What do you think that means? Mm -hmm. And like, long story short, was it just really kind of morphed, you know, mm -hmm. where I, um, I was thinking about, do I go back to grad school? Do I pursue psychology, like mm -hmm. social work? That's something I've always been passionate about. And then I realized that this whole coaching thing was kind of already happening. So I was like, well, maybe I can just get trained as a coach and see if I can do this. Um, and that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing. And, and then last year, um, I mean, I'd been getting kind of like winks and nudges for a long, like internal kind of like intuitive hits of like, mm, you're going to be pivoting. You're going to be shifting. Mm -hmm. This relationship stuff is just one piece of actually what you're going to be doing. But I mean, like most people, I was just like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, this is working. <laughs> like, why would, this. I, why would I mess this up? Like, it's yeah. going great. Um, right. This is what's comfortable for me. Mm. Um, and then last year, I, like, so many things just happened in my life that just, like, woke me up to, like, whoa, I really need to pause and assess and slow down. And... Um, and what came out of that sort of like pause was this recognition that um, the work I want to be doing with women is a lot bigger mm -hmm. than just the dating and relationship realm. And that, and that everything that I've been speaking to and a teaching on, you know, in my coaching journey thus far, like if you go look at my videos in my YouTube library, like all of that is still true and there's so much more. Yeah. So now we're just doing a much deeper dive and it's just gotten like a lot weirder <laughs> bring on the weird yeah yeah right so it was an evolution it wasn't like you stepped out of a, a version of yourself and into a new it was just kind of an evolution into this more full yeah self. that's actually something I remember um I read a really meaningful book for me was the desire map by Danielle Laporte I don't know mm -hmm. if you've read any of her stuff she's a Canadian author yeah yeah um, and she talked about how, you know, if you're, if you're sort of, this isn't her words, but like if you're doing growth, right. Or if you're doing evolution, right. You're just going to feel more and more and more like you, mm. you know, like you're just, and that to me, and it's so counterintuitive because I think we tend to think I need to like fix these things. I need mm. to layer on new Change. stuff. I need, yeah. When really it's like for me and, you know, with my new work with the undoing, it's yes. so much more about releasing these layers of what's not you yes. and and I've really experienced that in my own journey and so much in the past year of realizing like oh like what I'm doing now feels so much more like me 
um, which ironically, again, maybe counterintuitively, it's like, and it's so much more uncomfortable <laughs> because it's so <laughs> much more like me. Um, but it's also, you know, feels really true and right. So, yeah. Yeah. And like meeting that discomfort with curiosity, Vanessa and I, right before we got on with you, were talking about a post that you had posted, I don't know, um, the beginning of September, where you were sort of talking about, you know, women are users and sort of yeah. speaking to this new direction that your work is setting in. And I was like, <laughs> I, see the sweat beat before me <laughs> I was reading this post and I was like, hells yes, like this is everything that I feel like has been so alive for me and so mm -hmm. much of what I'm sitting with with clients right now. And the resistance was fascinating. Like, I was like, oh, this is so, you know, our conditioning around this is so deeply ingrained mm -hmm. that um, the confrontation is just more than we are able to tolerate a lot of times, Completely. right? Completely. Yeah. Well, and I think women, um, in terms of our, you know, and everybody's different. So I always say, like, I'm going to speak in very generalized blanket statements. And then for anyone listening, like this 100% might not apply to you and might not be your experience. But mm. having worked with such a wide variety of women over the years from different parts of the world, different age ranges, walks of life, all these things, I've just noticed these trends where um, you know, so much of how women kind of relate to their lives and in the world there is this like, like, we just, we just want to be like good and we just want to be enough. Mm -hmm. And we just, and really what that's rooted in is like, we just want to be safe. Yes. So we develop all these coping mechanisms and we learn all these ways to like fit in here mm -hmm. and feel okay here. And, um, a lot of what I am bringing through is, is just starting, it's kind of like, Hey, like there's some cracks in that foundation, mm -hmm. you know, that, a lot of us have just been um, like raised with and what's been modeled for us. And that feels really threatening <laughs> to think like, oh, every, everything or a lot of things about how I relate to myself and my life and how I'm designing my life and the choices I'm making are being called into question as maybe like those aren't authentic choices or that's not really who I am or I'm doing that because of, you know, I use the words like conditioning and programming. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to admit that they, that, you know, they are subject to any of that. But I really believe and in my own experience of unraveling my own stuff, you know, that no one is exempt and, um, and yeah, it's just, it, it does require a lot of willingness to kind of reflect and, and sit with all of that mm. discomfort for sure. So many things about what you just said, you know, Gabor Mate talks about this um, fundamental need that we all have for attachment and autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. But when we're babies, um, we will always choose attachment and safety because that is how we survive, right? Like mm -hmm. we need our caretakers. So the conditioning to fight for our survival and to attach and to be loved is so strong within us. And so there's all these forces, whether it's our parents and our caregivers or society that have sort of wired us to fight for attachment first, but then there's this point where we're, we realize we're suppressing our authentic selves and our autonomy in order to have that, that safety, right? And so mm -hmm. it is really, I mean, we can meet ourselves with so much compassion about why we did it. Like we felt like we had no choice, it was survival. But now, now that we know we're okay, like we don't have to sort of do what we did. Can we mm -hmm. meet it with a little bit of like, can I lean into challenging some of why this is so uncomfortable to look at? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and sometimes the answer is no. Mm. <laughs> and that's okay, right? In that and moment it's so for that person. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. like, you know, that that's been another thing. Well, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this because I I don't know if you've had these conversations, but I definitely have these conversations where I'm like, is it better to be like one of these like conscious questioning wide awake, like mm. <laughs> constantly evolving humans. Like sometimes I just, sometimes I wish I'm like, God, I, I wish I could just not know, just not know. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. Like we talk like, about this a lot. <laughs> watch like Jersey shore and yep. go to Wendy's and like feel no kind of way about it. Like just be like completely fine. And, but you know, that's another thing too. I, I find um, like social media is, is amazing. And also it's something that's rightfully being called into question on so many mm -hmm. levels right now, but something yeah. that I've really seen is, you know, what it's done to, in terms of making aspects of psychology and, um, and personal development and, and consciousness work really like widespread is I think there is this big like tidal wave happening of mm -hmm. really questioning everything. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and it's awesome and and yeah and also scary and uh and i think you know what you said about being able to really meet ourselves with so much compassion there for the scary mm-hmm. bits and like maybe why we're afraid and what it's bumping up against is so essential because we tend to be and again just speaking you know to a lot of women like we tend to be really hard on ourselves mm. you know and and very yes. perfectionistic oriented and um that that ends up making uh this sort of personal evolution work all the more challenging because we're like oh I shouldn't be going through this or I should already know this and it's like no you really shouldn't actually this is why so much of what I'm what I'm realizing is like so I I teach a lot and I speak a lot about codependency and I'm realizing now the more I get into this and the further in my career and the more people I work with how it's kind of like you were saying today about you know Okabar Mate says it's like codependency is not just the old guard of like addict codependent. It's like, no, every one of us as a human actually has codependent behaviors and tendencies because it's survival, Mm -hmm. right? It's what we need in order to get that attachment to your point today. And if we don't understand and learn to unravel, maybe not unravel, but at least start the work to really get in and understand that component first, it's almost impossible to then go on and say, okay, but what is my authentic self? What is Mm -hmm. it that I want? How do I show up? Because if you don't understand that at its simplest nature, your okayness is wrapped up in their okayness or your not okayness is wrapped up in their not okayness. How do you do anything else? How do you work from there without that knowledge, you know? Mm, yeah. Codependency is like one of the juiciest mm-hmm. topics ever, ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Vanessa, I can't wait for you and Amy to jam on codependency a little bit because I feel like you both speak to it so beautifully. But I did want to sort of circle back to that question from a depth psychological perspective. I think we always know, right? Like, yeah. even if we're like in the space of like, I'm deep in Jersey Shore and I'm content here and whatever, like, I think some part of us always knows, right? And, you know, the depth psychological perspective is sort of that the things that we aren't addressing sort of manifest in these other ways. Like, we are mm-hmm. this country where everybody's anxious and let's mm-hmm. medicate our anxiety. And this is not me saying that anxiety is not real. Let me just please say yeah. that clearly. And, Also, I find so often our anxiety is about the things that we are not speaking to, we are not addressing, right? So I was just saying to Vanessa, I've been single for a year now, I was married for 12 years, and, you know, there was always a little bit of something isn't right here, right? Mm. Like, I would push it down, but I, like, some part of me knew, some part of me was aware that this wasn't my higher truth. And I think that is what so many of us do. Like we push Mm -hmm. it down, we ignore it, we explain it away. We, this is what society has conditioned me that I need to believe it away. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think some part of us knows, and those are the discomforts. Right? Like it manifests in other ways. I mean, then it manifests in substance abuse, it manifests in shopping, it manifests Mm. in, you know, treating your body poorly and and a lot of different things that we wouldn't maybe necessarily think, oh, that's anxiety. Yes, it is. That is anxiety manifesting itself in a very concrete way. Yeah. Well, and I would even take it a step further. Like I just love exploring, okay, so who's benefiting Mm. from so many women or just human beings across the board, ignoring their own knowing, you know what I mean? Or like detaching from their feelings or, or judging themselves for being anxious, or I would say like judging yourself for being depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we don't have to go down the mental health rabbit hole because I have some very like strong feelings, which could be- <laughs> I'm like, no, please let's, yeah. let's go down. It's like, I always joke, like, I'm like, I'm not a psychologist. So I can say whatever the fuck I want. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just a coach. So, but you know, I, I was going through this with the women in, in my undoing program where I was saying, you know, we, I, I believe we really just have a misunderstanding around mm-hmm. anxiety and depression Same. where like, mm-hmm. if you, and I say this as someone who's experienced both, right. Who's like been medicated for clinical depression, who's, you know, had my own journey there. And I look around the world and there's this part of me that's like, mm, if you are a sensitive being, if you're like a deeply feeling person, um, if you are like a, an introspective big thinker questioner and you're looking around the world and looking at the state of things, like how could you not be depressed? Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, it's yes. like, to me, depression is a natural response to some really fucked up shit going down mm-hmm. on a huge collective level. And, Absolutely. <laughs> and like, whatever, this is something I believe, like whatever's happening on the macro 
to some degree is happening on the micro. So like mm. if we're seeing major dysfunction on a collective level, which is like 2020 has just been a super like let's open up like every closed door Pandora's box. <laughs> yes. Like it's been like, let's look at all of the messed up stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's not separate from us. Like that's yeah. not separate from me. That's like, I have my own little suitcase that I carry that's full of different versions of that. Right. So, um, I really look at, yeah, like anxiety, depression, any, any, that we might um, not even necessarily like diagnose. We don't have to go to that degree, but also just like label as like, yeah. uh oh, like that experience that you're having. Like that's not, that's really like Something's bad. wrong. Like I'm just like, actually, maybe not. You know, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean oh, okay, so I just like live with it, and it's just this is what I should just like submit to. But like we have to, I believe we have to shift our understanding and orientation to these yes. epidemics. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think any large collective pattern like that, that we're seeing in such a large number of people, like, how could that be wrong? Mm. Like, it's like, oh no, that's a symptom of something. And we want to figure out what it's a symptom of. Right. And can we stay in the curiosity around the symptom, right? Like, instead of like, let's shut this down, let's make this not a thing that I'm experiencing. Can I be curious about why I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. whatever the thing is, instead of pathologizing, instead of labeling, slapping something on it and being done with it, can I be curious about like, well, why is this here? Like, what is the invitation if I'm willing to stay in it with whatever it is? I mean, we talk about all the time, like there was a time when, you know, the schizophrenic or the people who had whatever the mental illness was would have been labeled the shamans or the wise men or the the elders that we re- we look to to sort of see what is happening in the culture that we need to react to. But now we're like, oh no, like get rid of that, whatever it is, right? Yeah, like we really there's a very sort of um, sliver thin, narrow sort of perspective and identity that's considered quote unquote normal. Mm. And the, and I mean, I, I think so much of that is just being busted wide open right now. And so many conversations that are happening, um, especially in terms of like social justice and, Mm -hmm. you know, around conversations like gender identity, like there's so much of just us just being like, why do we, why are, why are there like two mainstream identities that are like acceptable, (laughs) you know? And then like everything else is like, othered and wrong and less than it's so um this is a clinical term back ass words yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, i actually remember reading that in my in my testing materials for my clinical yeah I'll put, <laughs> we'll cite the sources on that one in the show notes but you know but it's like why why do we just accept yeah. this like and again it's like who's benefiting from this actually mm. because it seems like a whole lot of people are not benefiting from feeling like their feelings are wrong or the way that they relate to the world or themselves is wrong or how they understand different aspects of their identity is somehow less than, mm-hmm. um, that's going to be so damaging. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. like, what that brings up when you say that is I I've been having conversations about this. And I think today and I've talked about this, it's part of our culture as human beings really it, it is this idea of, I don't want how do I articulate this? Okay. So going back to what you were saying about sometimes it's better to not know, like, I wish I could live in ignorance mm-hmm. land forever. Right. It would actually be nice sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Um, but there is a part of that that feels like somebody else is taking care of it for me. Somebody mm-hmm. else is making the decision. Somebody else is taking all this burden off my shoulders of being a good person and just telling me what to eat, what to consume, what to do, who to vote for, right? All these things, how I should live my life. Mm-hmm. And so part of going down the path or the journey of being that seeker of digging into the depths and of looking behind closed doors actually is now you're taking on the responsibility that you have to own that shit yourself Mm -hmm. and somebody else can't do it for you. And Mm -hmm. I actually think there is a bit of that happening in the divide that we're seeing in our, in our country, you know, even from a political landscape, it's like some people are actually going, no, who is benefiting? This is what made me think of this. Your question, who is benefiting? We have to ask this question, Mm -hmm. but then you also have responsibility that comes with wanting to know the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And how have I been benefiting and what's my part in this dance, right? Like where have I been complicit and, and doing the same thing too, a little bit, right? Yeah. It's so, um, I, I really, it's so interesting. You're saying like these exact words because folk, I've been focused a lot on 
especially with women, self-responsibility, especially because um, we live in a time because of the nature of hierarchical power structures and like the trickle down effect of what is oppression, right? Mm -hmm. And I talk about it a lot within the realm of patriarchy, but obviously there's multiple systems of oppression and intersections there to acknowledge. But if we're looking at just like the large, again, blanket statement, scope of women being oppressed, some a really awful side effect of oppression and waking up to your own oppression is that there's there's this right sense of victimization, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, how have I been victimized by this system? Mm-hmm. And how have I given my power away to, to a system or to an ideology or to something outside of myself because it was what I felt like I had to do to ensure my survival, to ensure mm-hmm. my safety, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And it's not true for all women, but there are women that I work with. There are women that I'm friends with. There's women that I see who share a lot of meaningful content online, but I see the ways in which they use a culturally condoned victim status Mm. to avoid taking a certain level of radical self-responsibility for what they're going to do now. Like there's sort of this sense, and this is something that's super important to me because I feel like as soon as the word patriarchy comes out people are like, like, everybody's <laughs> just like oh my like it's a loaded word right mm. and I said this on my podcast recently I was like you know I'm not here to smash the patriarchy I want us to work together to dissolve it mm. yeah. which is very different because it's like so I'm gonna back up a second and just say like how this played out for me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways like once I tuned into the ways in which I had been conditioned and programmed to believe I needed to be in a relationship or I needed to be in partnership with a man to be worthy, to be valuable, to feel whole, like, and I see like nodding heads. Yes. Yes. Right? Like, tale as old as time, like, mm. literally, Beauty and the Beast. Perfect. Which in itself is like the most twisted uh, story when you like, think about it. Like, <laughs> we go there. A whole yep. <laughs> which I obviously worshipped as a child. Yep, yep. Um, you know, I like when I started unpacking that for myself, the tendency that most of us have is we swing hard to the other end of the spectrum where it's like, I don't fucking need a man mm. and I don't want one and I'm going to be an independent woman. Mm-hmm. And I... <laughs> I feel attacked, Amy. But like Vanessa, this is true about codependency too, right? Yeah, that it's yeah. like we realize we're codependent yeah. and then so long we're like, oh, I need to be like hyper independent. Like I boundaries, wanna... it's like, it's like bam in your face. I talk about this all the time. I'm like, and then we learn what soft boundaries look yeah. like. We learn how to be kind and set boundaries. Yeah. We get there. <laughs> okay. but, uh, but you know, if this was something that one of my coaches, Heather Allison, really enlightened me to when I started working more with the feminine and the divine feminine and my feminine power and energy and all this stuff. She was like, you know, if you are just, if you, if you wake up to like a, a system or an ideology and then you just are running in the opposite direction of it, you're still owned by that system mm-hmm. because that is actually not your authentic truth either. Like you're just deciding, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that because I, I went with that and it didn't work and it wasn't right. And I was conditioned to believe that it would be my salvation. And it would lead me to freedom and it didn't. So yeah. now I'm just going to, you know, duck in the other direction. And it's like, and that's, and this is something that I, when I worked with so many single women, that was the trajectory they would follow is like, you know, super like, these aren't nice words, but like, I think they evoke how some of us have felt like thirsty, needy, mm-hmm. insecure, codependent, like, oh my God, how do I get him? Like, I need, <laughs> I need a man, I need a man, I need a man. You know, I need him. Like, it's like this awful yes. foaming at the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and then we become these, like, I became a total, like, for a period, like an above it all ice queen. Like mm, I could not right. be bothered. Like I... And I demonized men and I villainized men and I made them my enemy and I wanted them to be small. And I, and can you believe my relationships didn't work like, <laughs> <laughs> with that lens? Um, but, you know, then, but again, like you're saying, Vanessa, about like you find this sort of like middle ground. It's, I don't think that that trajectory and pathway is wrong. I just want, if we're in that, I want us to be able to name it really clearly that that is 
what's happening. It's like, oh, now I'm doing the thing where I go really hard in the other direction. And that's part of the process and part of like the phase of this journey. And if I stay the course and I just pay attention and, you know, I'm, I'm understanding with myself, I'll land in this, like this zone that is more kind of authentic and flexible and, and willing to like shift and adjust accordingly and not so rigid and not Mm so, um, uh, I don't even have a good word for it, but like not so maybe manufactured, you know, not where it's like, this is what I feel like I have to do because Mm -hmm. I need to keep myself in these like tight constraints. Cause like, I can't be left to my own devices, you know? Yeah. Um, well, we have to, there's no way I always, so I do a whole class around black and white thinking and extremism when it Mm. is related to codependency. And I always say, there's no way for you to know what that middle ground feels like until you swing to the opposite side. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to experience that in order to go, Oh wait, that doesn't feel right either. Yeah. Let me back up and try this. Mm, Okay. That still doesn't feel right. Okay. Let me back up and try this until you find your gray until you Mm -hmm. find your middle ground. So to your point, it's like, let's stop saying there's something wrong with it and actually start accepting it. That's just part of the process for you to find out what authenticity, which is your middle ground, which is your gray actually feels like in Mm -hmm. your body. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. As you were talking about it, Amy, I kept thinking how much this feels like it relates to everything that's happening this year as well. And Mm -hmm. certainly like the social justice stuff that's come up. I feel like there was a point where there was just so much like, don't ask me about it. And if you don't know, go read a book. And these are the people. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) this is not how we have conversations that invite us into the space of any sort of growth. (laughs) Like if we are just so rigid in the like, the anger and the othering and like, Like for me, I was like, I think all of us need to meet one another and ourselves with some compassion and compassion can also look like, where am I unaware of some of my blind spots here? Like I was like, absolutely. As a woman of color, I have blind spots. I have ways that I have benefited from Mm -hmm. these systems, right? Like all of us are a part of this. We all need to be at the table. We all need to sit down. You know, it's not about like you get out of here because you're not not a part of the system in the way that I want you to be. It's about like sit down together and mm-hmm. let's ask questions and have conversations a little bit softer. Yeah. I don't know if, if I'm articulating. No, I like, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like, or my experience of, um, and I'm speaking specifically, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and like the, I've heard people refer to like the great white awakening that happened <laughs> of like, I mean, we're so about that. I'm like part of that. Okay. Okay. I'm like, that we're, term. We're, some people really were like, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. racism exists at all. Yeah, like, yeah. Which is be, like, to me, it's just fascinating. But you know, um, there, I think there was, I think this whole year, but especially like this summer, I, I feel like there's a total rightful purge of like, mm you know, like rage and Mm -hmm. anger and hurt that like needs and needed to be expressed. I mean, yeah, needs like, and likely, you know, it's not like over, but this is the thing I think that also to tie it into what we're talking about in terms of like the judgment piece, we don't like anything that's uncomfortable. (laughs) Like we don't Mm -hmm. like, you know, we have such a hard time just letting people be angry or letting Mm -hmm. people be hurt or letting people be sad uh, when it's the most appropriate response that you could possibly have to a situation. And, and I, you know, as a white woman and having conversations with other white women about this topic, um, a lot, it's like white, not across the board, but a lot of white women, I think are really, um, emotionally out of touch on so many levels. Um, And it's really, so that like when something gets like triggered or a button gets pressed, it's like, oh my God, like we, we don't know how to be with what's coming up for us. We don't know how to be responsible with our own emotions and, and triggers and reactions. And, and then you go look at like a comment section on Facebook and that's how this shit manifests, you know? So I wonder where the idea of Karen was birthed. It's like, well, there's a reason why Karens are typically older white ladies. (laughs) Not to like classify, but I mean, I think what you're saying is really true. It's like, I'm not saying it's all white women, right? I mean, I'm a white woman, but I do think that there's a large part of us that have to kind of step up going back to what you were saying about ownership and responsibility, right? But the problem with ownership and responsibility is it means I have to look inward. Yeah. I have to accept 
responsibility, right? It means something I was doing was quote unquote wrong or quote unquote bad, which I don't love those words, but it kind of means that in a way. Yeah. And that shit is scary because what does that say about my identity? What does that say mm-hmm. about who I am? And so, you know, this idea of like cancel culture, for example, mm-hmm. Danae and I were talking about that before we hopped on with you because my partner just had something similar happen yesterday where he had made some joke about um, one of his non-negotiables. And the, the post was like non-negotiable number, whatever, um, no more uh, like, I think it was like no more old or ratty Granny underwear. Granny pants or something. Well, he yeah. said ratty underwear. Oh. <laughs> what he said. And then underneath that, he said something like, you know, and for you ladies, that means beige or something like that. Like he was like kind of being snarky joking. And like people like went berserk, right? And all these women were like, you know, misogynistic. It's this, it's that. Like, you know, don't tell us what's sexy. Don't tell us what to wear. And so as a therapist, he, you know, he's a therapist, but he also has this very dry sense of humor. And he said, he had to sit with that, yes, that is the reality. I can see how that would be taken that way and how your feelings would be hurt by that and how it would be deemed sexist. And let's look at the defensiveness that's coming up. Let's look at the response. What Danae said earlier when we were talking is like, I want this person to be in this box. And if he steps out of this box in a millimeter, we're going to say he's a bad person who's a misogynist who should be canceled forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. I mean, we've seen cancel culture in many ways, but it's just mm-hmm. really alive for us right now because it just happened yesterday. Well, no. And I remember having a conversation with Brandon uh, over the summer, right? New Age Gents. If anybody doesn't follow Brandon, he's like the purest he's soul. Awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, I love him so much. <laughs> but, you know, we chatted about this briefly where, you know, on once in a while, he, he will create a piece of content. And I don't want to speak for him. So this might not be his experience, but I'm speaking to just the exchange that we had mm-hmm. and what I witnessed in it that, you know, he might create something that was like, you know, hey, ladies, like this one's for you, you know, where he's really, because he's mostly speaking to men and he's very much about like, you know, masculine development and that kind of thing. But Hmm. um, sometimes I saw like he got this comment of this woman that was basically just like, you know, as a man, like you're not allowed to have an opinion about this. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm just like, that's not helpful. Like I I get and can feel and understand where that's coming from. and And... how, and, and especially in the long term, that's not going to produce or, the cre- or create the results that we want. Like you're saying, Danae, where it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, how has anything ever really changed or developed or evolved in a, in a, in a really like healthy, beneficial way from like shutting people down and silencing people and making their opinions or experiences invalid. Mm-hmm. Like it's just never, ever worked, but but yeah, it is, um, it's just an uprising. I think that's happening right now where like, you know, a lot of people and rightly so who've like, who haven't been at the top of that hierarchical power structure, right. Who fall outside the bounds of what we would consider to be like a mainstream identity or quote unquote normal or the best or whatever. It's like more space is just being made to be like, let's hear those opinions, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but I see, I'm so mixed about cancel culture. I feel like everyone else knows how they feel about it. And like, I do not know how I feel about it. Like there's days where I'm just like, no, I can see where that's like really necessary and like a rightful response to something. And then there's days where I'm like, that's the most like inhumane move that we could be making. Like I'm all over the map. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you bringing that up because I think it's anyone who's in the online space at all is just, you know, very aware of it. Um, and it's just like a strange reality of what's of how things are being handled right now yeah Yeah. i mean i think if we look at it from a therapeutic lens there is so much growth that comes from the rupture like we have to feel safe to get it wrong like Mm -hmm. if i don't feel safe that i can say the wrong thing and my client can be like you totally just pissed me off with what you said and i can say oh tell me more about that and like and vice versa then there is a lack of closeness there is a like we're keeping one another at arm's length we're not able to say things and no wonder we all feel like we need to be perfect as a society like no wonder there's so much pressure because when people get it wrong like i was looking at the comments john's post yesterday and i was like damn women like y'all get a little harsh when you feel like someone that you've maybe held on this pedestal or you know looked at in a certain way for whatever reason has let you down like the vitriol and the anger is just like oh but I feel like in these moments where we're attempting to repair after someone has gotten it wrong there is so much healing that can come from that but if we don't ever get to the conversation there's not gonna if be the unfollow there. and the cancel happens there's there's zero 
opportunity for that repair, right? Yeah. And we see that in therapy all the time. Like we have this kind of saying where it's like that how somebody ends therapy is actually very, very telling about their relationships. Mm-hmm. So if somebody just disappears mm-hmm. or if somebody like just, you know, says, okay, I'm done now and never does like a closing session mm-hmm. or, you know, they blow up at you, they walk out, they never come back. Like all of these things are very telling. How we handle endings, how we handle ruptures mm-hmm. is very telling about our ability to have healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like every relationship I've had with every, <laughs> every ending. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what do I do? What do I tend to do? Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I love the word like rupture and like, yeah, and disappointment and mm-hmm. and feeling like let down or feeling hurt. You know, I was someone that so much of my like relationship blueprint was incredibly chaotic, you know, where like I was in these relationships where we just could not digest conflict at all. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, you know, things were really hot and charged and I didn't really know how to move through things with vulnerability or mm-hmm. open conversation. Like I would actually, um, I didn't see it this way at the time, but I look back and I'm like, oh, I would, I would really use, uh, this is a strong word, but I would really kind of like weaponize emotions to make people mm-hmm. feel a certain way, to make someone mm-hmm. feel bad, to get attention from someone, to punish someone, you know, like with sadness or with anger or with all of these things. Um, and I just remember, right, like I worked with a really amazing therapist who I just would go into sessions expecting her to take my side and like, <laughs> just expecting her to be like, you're right. Like he sounds terrible. And like, <laughs> she just wouldn't let me get away with any of it. Like she just was constantly like, well, and you're the one who's here in the room with me. So we're here to look at you. And like, that sounds like you're being a little controlling or that sounds like, yeah, like you're being a little attention seeking or that sounds like, mm, that sounds a little manipulative, Amy. And I just remember the <laughs> I like feeling her. of like sitting on that couch and it was like, <gasps> like the air would get sucked into the room. Yeah. Where I was like, what? Like how? But it was, mm. so, I mean, it was the most beautiful, amazing gift to me to be, to have that reflected to me in that way. Because again, it like really forced me and invited me to take ownership in this way where instead of then going into a potential argument and the button getting pressed and me just flying into, you know, like my typical patterns and grooves, I would have this space to pause and notice, right? Like, oh, I'm doing the thing. Mm. oh, I'm doing the thing where like, I want to like run out of the room and cry so that like, he'll come and chase me and make me feel better about it. And then I can like villainize him and make him feel really guilty. And, you know, just like all of this unconscious stuff becomes conscious. Mm. Isn't that a, isn't that a young quote? Jungian talks yes. about that? I love that quote. <laughs> like, you know, all of the unconscious starts to become conscious and it is so gross and upsetting and beautiful because mm. it's like, Whoa. But you just touched on literally the point of self-development work. Yeah. The point of all of this is to make the unconscious conscious. Mm -hmm. And guess what, guys? Most of the time, the unconscious is ugly and it's gross (laughs) and it's not pretty. So this is why we say your friends can't be your therapist. Right. This is why we say you need to seek someone out because guess what? Your friend loves you and they're going to be like, yeah, he is an asshole. I was literally thinking the same thing. Like how much is women we have each other's cosigns because that's our job to have your girls back but it's not always helpful you know I think so often couples come in for couples work and it's like here's what I want to be clear about couples work does not ever work when it's like here's my partner I'm going to tell you what's wrong with them them. you convince them and fix them so you know I can take them home and we can be good couples work only works when you sort of put the mirror in front of you and say, here's what I've been doing in this dance. Here's my hundred percent. And if that is not something you're interested in doing, this is wasted. Not going to work. Right. Like I can't fix your partner for you. That's not what we do here. It's horrible. (laughs) It's horrible. And I love it. Like, that's the thing about me. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm such a masochist. Cause I'm just like, Oh, it's the fucking worst. But it's so, it ends up being so much more liberating. Right. Because like, I think about relationships that I was in where I, where I genuinely was like, you know, mistreated or like really like with someone who was not capable of like, you know, healthy adult partnership or, um, who was manipulative and 
you know, there's a way that I could relate to all of that where again, it's like this victim thing of like, they did that to me and that was so wrong and they shouldn't have done that and how, and the only way I've been able to recover or heal from any of those was by being really honest about like there, oh, there was a part of me that opted into that. Mm. Not consciously, but there was a part of me that let things slide and made things okay that weren't okay, that ignored my knowing, right? That like shoved the feelings down, that wanted to prioritize their needs over my needs, like, Mm -hmm. and let me get really like curious and interested in those parts of me. Yes. Because if I don't, they will just run the show. <laughs> like they will just do the picking and the choosing next time. And that's, you know, where we find ourselves, where, where so many women that I have worked with and so many women who resonate with my work online will say like, oh, I've, I've played the pattern out enough to realize that like I'm the common denominator here. Like, oh, I'm playing a role in this. Yeah. And I'm definitely super clear at this point that I'm like, if you don't see that you're playing a role, I can't work with you. <laughs> like, if you don't mm. see that you're a really integral part of this whole equation, then like, there's no way we're going to be able to create any type of, you know, positive change or transformation because otherwise you're just going to be fighting with me about, you know, for your powerlessness and your victimization and your defenselessness. And it's like, I will not join any woman in that space. Like I just can't do it. Yeah. 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 That's like the best way. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was the thing I loved so much about that post that we were talking about Mm. where you were saying that women are users that you were just like, listen, this may not be where you are and that's fine. And oh yeah. Because I think, if, you know, it's this invitation to be curious and um, holding myself with an understanding of like where this came from. Like, yes, the patriarchy is real. Yes, these are things that we need to unpack. And now I am in responsibility to do something with this information, right? Like, how am I going to show up now um, versus just being the victim to what's mm-hmm. been happening? And you can take this out of the patriarchy conversation too, right? It's like we talked about today. I mean, it was like, I remember saying to my ex, like, okay, Yes, all those things happen. And at what point, at what age, at what stage in your life do you stop blaming your parents for all your problems and start mm-hmm. being a grown up and taking responsibility for how you show up in the world? Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah. and I remember having that exact conversation, not just with him, but I see it happen with clients. I see it happen with friends. I mean, it's like, yes, both can be true. Yeah. You could have been victimized and you can take responsibility and choose consciously to act different now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And that's so much of what I see with clients, like working with clients. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest things. It's such a conversation that I'm having, you know, with all the women I work with too, about the, the sort of the both and paradox mm-hmm. of like, how can both of these things be true? Right. Right. That like, that I was victimized or mistreated or even like abused by this person. Right. That's true. And what was, and I played a role in it. Like, you know, like, and it was like, and there was a part of me that, um, that chose in some way. I mean, I think that there are exceptions to this, you know what I mean? Like I can, there's always, because of like, just like the nature of the internet right now, there's always like this part of me that's listening outside being like, how would someone poke a hole in this? So that like, (laughs) tear it down. And then I, yeah. And then I sound like the ultimate asshole. So like, you know, there's exceptions to everything, but I will say through the lens of specifically, like when we're talking about relational work or intimate partnership, um, I've just never seen an example where like it wasn't some, to some degree, a two-way street. Um, And that's a really tough pill to swallow. And I say that having swallowed many of those pills, like like a whole handful of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that means that, you know, we're saying that victimization and that you aren't sometimes the victim of someone's really bad narcissistic behavior or whatever it is. It's also, can I stay curious about what part of me is attracted to that? Yeah. Why versus like narcissist or the devils. And that's just what I want to sit and talk about all day, every day. And it's like, okay, why was I attracted to that? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in like infidelity, right? I'm going to have that conversation, which doesn't, most couples don't like to hear, especially the one that has been cheated on, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, so what was your part in this? Yes. Yeah. And I get a lot of pushback, especially oh, yeah. from the women when I turn it on them and I say, what was your role in, in him cheating, right? I mean, it could go the other way. I have friends who it's been the other sex cheating on the other sex, right? Or the other gender, rather. But it, it's like, we have to be able to say what part of me was complicit. What part of me wasn't showing up to my fullest? What part of me wasn't 
you know, honoring my boundaries, honoring myself, expecting more from my partner, whatever the thing was. Um, and if we can't do that, then we're just going to continue to be the victim. We're going to continue to walk around pointing fingers. We're never going to grow. We're never going to evolve. It's really that simple. Responsibility is like Aww. the crux. And it's so, the thing too, I think that's so, that's actually like the kind of um, magic medicine through that, like of, of, letting that go a little is is really being willing to be so gentle and compassionate and empathetic with yourself of like I couldn't have chosen any differently like that you know that's been a big thing for me is being like if I could have known better or chosen differently in that moment I completely would have but it wasn't available to me right so I have to meet myself with Mm a ton of curiosity and compassion and love for the fact that I didn't know what I didn't know. And that it's so, that's so foreign to us. Like that's the saddest thing to me is like that concept of like, I get questions a lot about how do I forgive myself for past mistakes? Mm -hmm. And my response is always like, you kind of let go of the forgiveness thing because you realize that like, there's nothing to forgive. Like you truly Mm -hmm. didn't know better. So you couldn't do anything differently. And any like unconscious habit or pattern that we have, right, around self-abandonment, right, or like self-sabotaging tendencies or any of those things, the only reason we do any of that is because we believe it's what will keep us safe. Like that's really the only reason is because we believe it'll keep us safe and it will guarantee us love. Like those parts of me that – I constantly was frustrated with because I was like, oh, I keep getting in my own way. It's like for me to be in opposition to those parts of myself was really kind of convoluted and confused because those parts of me actually really loved me. Mm. The love just came out in this weird way where it was like, no, 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 you can't listen to yourself and you can't speak your truth and you can't do what you want and you can't, you know, like set a boundary because if you do that, all this bad stuff will happen. Mm-hmm. And And so it's really kind of, I look a lot of at a lot of this as like it's like understanding just how to keep ourselves safe in a different way, you know. Right. Where it's like really, it's realizing like, oh, I thought that that's what would keep me safe, or I thought that that's what would keep me secure and loved and in good standing, and or or you know, guarantee me some status that I thought I needed. In actuality, now that I've had the experience of playing that out enough, I can see that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so I get to choose differently, you know, if I want to and if it's available to me. And um, for me, the biggest thing has been like, and I get to be extremely humble for when I Mm -hmm. screw up over and over and over again. Like, and not expect and not hold myself to some unrealistic standard of, of perfection or I should know better or I'm not allowed to be this way. It's like, oh no, I'm allowed to be in process all the time and it's never not going to be that way. Yeah. It feels important too to sort of remember that like some of these maladaptive behaviors are what kept us safe at one point, right? Like when, (laughs) right. When we were little, sometimes we needed to sort of put other people's needs first or keep quiet so that we were safe and our parent, like we knew that we couldn't say things or they wouldn't be able to tolerate it. Right. So now maybe I've outgrown some of these behaviors and I'm able to sort of step into that authenticity can't say the word, but um, because now I'm ready to, right? Yeah. Mm. We have to, I think my clients get so annoyed because I'm constantly, I'm just like, you need to be so gentle with yourself. Mm. (laughs) Mm. You know, like, I'm just like, you have to be so easy with yourself. Um, And it, and it bumps up against all of this, like, yeah, like I should know better. I should do differently. I should be, you know, the, the, the like inner critic inner voice that um, can just make things so hard (laughs) sometimes. but yeah, it's, it's definitely a wild ride. Hmm. Well, Amy, I feel like we could talk to you for hours. Oh but God, <laughs> I know. Like, and then I want to go this I'm way like, way. I know. I, I had like a list of things to talk to you about. And I'm like, what, for an hour already? Um, well, maybe we'll have to ask you to come back another time. But um, I would be honored. Yeah, thank you. But we have a few questions we ask all of our guests. So um, the first question we ask is, who have been your greatest teachers or mentors or um, voices that you sort of come back to when you need to seek wisdom? Yeah. So um, one of the big ones is actually my dad. He's been like a huge mentor to me when like I, um, I was so lucky to 
have a parent who's like sort of been in the coaching industry and who's built their own practice at a time, especially when coaching like wasn't a thing, like in the eighties when it was like, that sounds like malarkey. Um, (laughs) so he's definitely someone for me that I, um, I've just like gained, he's been also like, he's introduced me to so many different teachers, you know, like he was the one that was like, you should check out the work of Byron Katie. And like, you should, you know, like Mm -hmm. look at this like abundance class with Larry Crane, like all these kind of like different, more fringe kind of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's like a direct relationship. I think in terms of um, kind of known teachers, I do love the work of Byron Katie because I think it just like reveals all of our stuff really yeah, brutally she, and like I so like good. that I just like <laughs> I like it when it's like oh my god we're dealing with like the most uncomfortable truth of all time like <laughs> I'm I'm creepy that way um, and then in terms of like books that have changed my life like Melody Beattie's stuff was yeah. like if Melody Beattie hadn't written Codependent No More I have no idea where I would be. Like, I have no I idea. I think you're probably one of many, many people that would say the same thing. Yeah. And that should just be like required reading for humans. Like Agreed. it's so, it's so good. Um, so I always come back to her stuff. And, um, and yeah, and I've been really lucky to work with like my coach, Heather Allison. Her Instagram handle is I am Heather Allison. And she was my introduction to working with the feminine and understanding masculine feminine dynamics from this very like, holistic, you know, non-gendered cosmic perspective, which has been completely foundational for the work I'm doing now. And, um, and yeah, I'm like obsessed with her. I nerd out over her all the time. So those are just a smattering of peeps. Love it. Go follow her now. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is what breaks your heart? Oh my God. What doesn't break my heart? Like (laughs) I had this experience last week. where um, I realized like a beetle had drowned in my shower, like while I was taking a shower. Like I didn't see it, like it was trying to climb up. (laughs) Like I'm like such a softy soft. Like I was so upset. Like I was like, that beetle probably had the most traumatic end of life experience. Like I just felt so devastated. Like that breaks my heart. And then also um, the headlines, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like checking in with the news cycle, looking at, looking at our government, looking at the way politics happen, looking at, um, yeah, what's happening around racial justice or what's rather what's not happening around racial Mm -hmm. justice in this country. Like it kills me. Um, so yeah, this has been like the summer and I was talking about this with my ladies in the undoing, cause we're talking a lot about rage and grief and really like making friends with those feelings. And like, this was like a big summer of like rage and grief. <laughs> like I was just mm. doing a lot of private processing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a, mm. that's a short list. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then what is a flow state for you? So the thing that you can just lose yourself in all day, the hours pass, you're like, oh, it's been like five hours. The thing that you love doing more than anything. Mm-hmm. This is what a great question. It's something that's really evolved over the years. And it's, I think it's actually evolving for me in a big way right now. Mm. Um, definitely like speaking stuff. Like, Mm. I mean, when I used to do like live speaking, that totally like brings me to this whole other dimension. That's really cool. Mm. Now, you know, if I'm like doing a live call or something like that, I get to have that experience. Um, but also cooking, like, Mm. That is one beautiful thing that came out of quarantine was I was like, oh, I'm going to do a lot more cooking and I don't suck in the kitchen anymore. (laughs) And I love just like putting on good music and just, you know, following or not following a recipe and just like cutting vegetables is really meditative. Like I love making soups and things. So Mm. that's something that I feel like is just a sort of simple, really fulfilling um, joy in my life right now. Love that. Okay. Last one. Really heavy. What's your favorite food? (laughs) <laughs> oh probably nachos oh i love this girl <laughs> <laughs> not like i will never turn down nachos if someone's like you want to it could be like seven o'clock in the morning and i would be like absolutely <laughs> like never don't want them sometime you have to come to la and have v make you nachos she makes a mean uh, plate of nachos your nachos I are amazing i love that <laughs> <laughs> so I was like thinking to myself, damn, I'm, they must be good. I don't remember the last time I made you nachos. Oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> Memorable. Yeah, yes. maybe something that'd be good for this weekend. Yeah. Oh. Well, 
Amy, I just thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. I just, I think you're so brilliant and I just am so excited we got this opportunity to sit down with you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you. I appreciate it so, so much. And no, this was such a a rich, meaningful conversation. So I appreciate it. Be well, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.